Acts 15 from verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had a sharp disagreement and they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. He came to Derb and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. And those decisions we had last week in the council at Jerusalem, and it was something that they had to be um, a bit more gentle with the, with the Gentiles, with the, um, yeah, the believing Gentiles had to be gentle in their approach, but still had to um, really do some severe correction because of their idolatry worship and sexual immorality. As they travelled from town to town, they delivered these decisions reached by the apostles for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. But during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, and the next day to Neapolis. From there, we travelled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. And on the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a, purple, was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptised, she invited us to a home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. Thanks, Carl. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you uh, for all that you have given to us. Lord, we thank you especially for your word and the way that you have spoken to us through uh, your words inspired by your Holy Spirit, written down by people in ages past, uh, and the way that, Lord, that you continue to make those words make sense to us uh, as you fill us with your Spirit uh, and open our hearts and minds. And, Lord, we ask that you would do that this morning. 
uh, and that you would help us to know how to be wise in life, uh, in the life following Jesus uh, and in the life of gospel work to which you've called us. Father, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the, uh, for the first few months of this year, I think, have been a, a unique time in the life of this church. Certainly in the almost five years that I've been here, I can't think of another time quite like it. It's been a, a time of intense missionary focus. We have the pulls uh, back at the moment from South Sudan for three months. They're reflecting on the past uh, couple of years, the past few years that they've been there, and they're also reflecting on the future, what the future holds for them, what the shape of their mission and ministry will look like uh, going into the future. We have Quentin and Ashley who are here. They've been here since the end of last year. They're here to the middle of the year, and they're thinking about what their future looks like on the mission field. The other day, a few of us uh, from the session and from the missions uh, team sat down with Kate Day, who has a real heart for overseas mission. And she's trying to work out what the future looks like for her. Susan Davies is uh, hoping to go take up some kind of mission work in the future and is making plans to prepare herself for that. And Will and Elizabeth continue to beaver away in their work uh, in India. And then this morning, we've just installed another pastor to help this church grow in serving Jesus and to help grow the church in being on mission with Jesus. And you can add to that a number of ministries in the church which are really thinking hard and working hard and trying to reach out to the local community, to reach out to the friends and the neighbours that we have, the colleagues that we have. In the past five years that I've been here, I've never known a time of such concentrated mission activity and mission planning. It's a great blessing, a great gift from God. But how do you think wisely about those things? How do you plan for mission? And how do you remain responsive to what God is doing on a day-to-day basis? How do you remain flexible? And when things don't go as you think that they should... What do you do? How do you respond to that? How do you think about that? Well, Acts 15 and 16 gives us a bit of guidance in addressing those questions. It helps us to answer the question, how do we think about those things as a church? How do we think about them as individuals? And how do we help those among us who are planning to go out into the mission field? How do we help those people to think about it as well? How do we help them to think about it and think about it in the little mission fields that God has placed us as well. Well, the setting of the events uh, in the passage that we read is Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, At the end of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas decide to go back and to visit the churches that they had established earlier on one of their earlier missionary trips. They say in verse 36, let's go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're going. And Paul and Barnabas, uh, although they're keen to plant new churches, they're also determined to strengthen the churches that they've already established. And yet, the great intentions that they have in this work are set back by the differences and disagreements that uh, 
occurs between them. There's a division between Paul and Barnabas about whether to take this guy called John Mark. In verse 37, we, we read, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them, but Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. It seems as though on the first missionary journey, John Mark had abandoned the work and left Paul and Barnabas kind of to face things on their own. Mark was unable to persevere for some reason, we're not told why, but evidently Paul is then, because of that, concerned about taking him along for a second time. What happens if he deserts them again? What happens if he leaves them high and dry again? What's that going to do to the work of the gospel? So Paul says, no, I don't think it's right for us to take him. Barnabas, on the other hand, ever the son of encouragement, uh, says to himself, well, let's give Mark a a second chance. I think that's right to do. But the result is such a sharp disagreement between these two men, between Paul and Barnabas, it's so sharp that they can't continue in this gospel work together. It's a pretty honest account, I think, of the reality of ministry and mission work. Mission and ministry is not all single-mindedness. It's not all everyone on the same page all the time. And sometimes the differences and the divisions are so great that people can't bring themselves to work together anymore. I said to Steve this week, I said, people are going to think we're already at, uh, <laughs> at fisticuffs. But, uh, but rest assured, that's not the case. But the sad truth is, isn't it, that the church is not immune from these kinds of disagreements. And they often shock us in a way which other disagreements and disputes don't. We expect to see this kind of thing uh, in the workplace, uh, in, in, in society, outside the church. We don't expect it in here. And yet Luke reminds us that this side of eternity and this side of the return of Christ, those things happen. Of course, there's a time to fight. There's a time to separate. There's a time when that's right, when it's a, in defense of the gospel and in defense of holding fast to the truth. There's a time when that has to happen, but even still, it's, it's, it's without animosity and it's with sadness and with anguish that those things happen. The problem comes, though, when we fight over preferences rather than principles, or when we fight and divide over things that are not so clear-cut. Often we get it wrong. We turn our preferences into theological principles and we turn our theological principles into preferences. We abandon what matters the most and we take hold of rigidly the things that don't really matter that much at all. We make first order issues second order issues and we make second and third order issues the most important things in the world. The Bible helps us to solve lots of things. The Bible helps us to know what's right and wrong. Greed is wrong. Sexual immorality is wrong. Lying is wrong. Stealing is wrong. The Bible gives us wisdom to know how to live, to know what's better in some circumstances than others. But the Bible doesn't give us details on whether to take someone with us on a missionary journey. There was no Bible verse that Paul and Barnabas could turn to that said, and the Lord said, take 
John Mark with you on the Bible, on, on the missionary trip. The Bible doesn't give us that level of detail. The Bible doesn't tell us to run church at 10 o'clock or to have a Sunday school or not have a Sunday school. It doesn't tell us whether to own a building or not own a building. And the reality is that two godly, gospel-hearted, Christ-focused people, two people who love Christ, can come to vastly different conclusions on the matter. And sadly, the reality is that it's over those small disputes often. When do we have church? Should we own a building? It's exactly those kinds of issues that have led people to leave churches and abandon gospel ministries. And yet there may be times over more substantial decisions, there may be times for us to say, I'm not sure this is God's direction that he's calling me to go. I'm not sure this is the place that God is calling me to be. I think we should part ways in this work. That's okay sometimes to do that. But I think that it should more often be the exception rather than the rule. And when we do it, it ought to be considered. We should ask lots of people for advice. We should talk to the people concerned. It's startling, it's disturbing, I think, how often people say, well, I'm, I'm giving up this, I'm, uh, you know, I'm giving up this work, I'm, I'm giving up this church, and they never talk to the people concerned. They make the decision between them and God, but that's not the, the, the model that the Bible gives us. And when we make a decision like that, it should not only be considered, it should be a peaceful decision rather than an acrimonious one. Unfortunately, more often than not, someone does something and we don't like it and we throw up our hands in despair and we say, well, that's it. I'm out of here. And we go off in a huff. Such divisions and disagreements are a sad reality in the church this side of the return of Jesus. They're a sad reality because of the remnants of sin which infect our world, which infect us. But please also notice that despite the division, Paul and Barnabas both continue in their labour for God. Barnabas takes Mark and goes to Cyprus, while Paul and Silas are sent by the church leaders to Syria and Cilicia. They don't give up in the gospel ministry, they persevere. How sad it is when this kind of division leads people to give up on ministry. And they say, that's it, I can't, I can't do it anymore, I've been burned too badly, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't teach Sunday school anymore. I can't be a youth leader. I, I, I can't lead a growth group. I can't, I can't do whatever. And how much sadder it is when it leads somebody to give up on the gospel entirely. Both those reactions fail to comprehend the scenario that Jesus has put us in. Jesus hasn't sent us with a first-class ticket to an idyllic holiday destination to put our feet up and live it up. Jesus has called us as soldiers to, trench, to, be, to be soldiers in the trenches as part of the warfare of gospel ministry. To, to make war against spiritual forces in the heavenly places. 
He sent us into a battle to make the gospel known. Finally, also notice that despite the division and disagreement that we dis- uh, in this chapter here, we discover later in Paul's ministry that that breach has been healed. In the second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, he, uh, we find Paul telling Timothy, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Why? Because he's helpful to me in my ministry. Mark who deserted them, and Paul wasn't sure if he'd ever take him on, uh, on the mission trip again. He's useful now to Paul in his ministry. Although division in ministry and life can be a sad reality, reconciliation can be a wonderful blessing. We should never resign ourselves to the fact that past division must mean future division and must mean the impossibility of ever working with people ever again. How easy it is to do that? Well, we had a disagreement in the past. We can never work together ever again. No. Paul's own experience demonstrates that through the power of God, through the power of the gospel, division can be replaced with gospel collaboration for the glory of the God and the progress of the gospel. So Paul and Barnabas' mission plans are shaken but not destroyed by an unexpected division. In the next section, we find God providing an unexpected gospel worker for Paul's mission. So at the beginning of chapter 16, Paul travels with Silas to Derby and then Lystra. In Lystra, Paul finds Timothy. And Timothy, we're told, is a man spoken highly of by the Christians in Lystra. And so Paul decides to bring him along on his journey, given the distances between uh, where Paul and Silas had set out from to where they were when they found Timothy. It's probably some weeks or months since they'd set out. But it's remarkable, I think, that having lost a colleague right at the beginning of their missionary adventure, they suddenly find God providing another one right in the middle. It's remarkable how often God still does the same thing for us today, how often he seems to provide people for gospel service almost out of nowhere. A few weeks ago, I remarked about what an extraordinary work of God it seemed for Steve to take up the role as assistant pastor in the church. It was something seemingly out of nowhere. At the end of last year, we started re-advertising and uh, I think I've said before, I thought we're never going to find anyone. It's a lost cause. As I usually do, it's never going to work. And yet, seemingly out of nowhere, God provided. God raised up Steve. And so it is so often with ministries in the church and, and other things, we, th- we sit around the table as elders and we think, where is, where is people going to come from? And we pray and God raises people up. Where is the Sunday school leaders going to come Where are the youth leaders going to come from? Where are the growth group leaders going to come from? We think to ourselves, it's never going to happen. And God provides time and time again. Perhaps you've had that experience in the past too. You've needed help with something. It might have even just been that you needed someone to give you wisdom about what to say to your neighbour. And God raised somebody up with exactly the wisdom that you needed to be able to speak to your friend. At our recent session strategy meeting, we talked about a long-held desire for our church to be a hub Uh, in the north of Tasmania for supporting and strengthening and even establishing churches uh, around the north of our state. 
But where will the people and the resources come from for that? It's great to have a vision, isn't it? It's great to have an idea about what might be good to do, but where will people come from? Well, if that's God's vision as well, if that's God's plan, then God will raise up the resources. Someone uh, said, <laughs> quoting from the Psalms, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. We don't have to worry about God having enough resources to fund gospel ministry. God will do it. We don't have to worry. Well, whatever gospel service God has called you to in your family or your workplace or your neighbourhood or even in another country, please trust God that he will provide. We've seen how Paul and Barnabas' mission plans are shaken but not destroyed by the unexpected division. We've seen how God unexpectedly provides another gospel worker in the person of Timothy. But God is also directing this mission and directing where it goes and how it happens. Paul and his companions have their great plans, but God also has his. Paul and Silas set out with this vision of uh, strengthening the churches, and they are able to do that. We're told in verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in faith and grew daily in numbers. They'd set out to strengthen the churches, and that had happened. But then when they set out to go to new areas to establish new uh, churches, things don't go as they had planned. Luke says in verse 6, Paul and his companions travelled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. There's two changes uh, of directions there, and I have a map. Uh, are you able to put the map up, Luke? There's a, there's a map, hopefully. Oh, you didn't? Oh, no worries. There's no map. Uh, yeah, yeah. So imagine. Uh, well, if you've, got, if you've got a map in the back of your Bible, so, so what happens is they're in, uh, they're in Frigga in Galatia and they try and go across uh, to the west to the region of Asia, but they can't go there. And so they think, well, we're not going to go to uh, Asia. And so they head north to uh, the region of Bithynia, which is up, which is up the top, uh, above where they were, but they can't get uh, through that region either. Uh, and so, in the end, they're funneled across. They're funneled across west, sort of below Bithynia uh, and above the region of Asia, uh, and they end up at Troas on the coast, right across from uh, Macedonia. Uh, and it's there that Paul experiences uh, this vision from God. God has uh, directed them. They've tried to go one way uh, and it hasn't worked. They've tried to go another way. That hasn't worked. And finally, they've been funneled across to the coast, uh, to Troas, uh, and God sends them this vision uh, of what to do. In verse 9, we're told, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Uh, and then in verse 10, look at the response. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Luke says that they concluded after the vision that they should go to Macedonia. The language suggests weighing up the evidence. Uh, you would think that if you got a vision in the middle of the night, someone saying, please come over to Macedonia, that that would kind of be 
pretty clear about what to do. But Paul and his travelling companions don't go, oh, well, that's easily solved then. They actually weigh up the evidence. The the language suggests that they're weighing up the evidence, not only of the vision, but what God has already done. they've, They've tried to go to Asia. That didn't work. They tried to go to Bithynia. That didn't work. God funneled them across to the coast to Troas. And it's only there that they have this vision and God says, no, come over to Macedonia. And after all those things, they conclude, well, God must be really directing us to go there. The point is that Paul's mission work uh, and our work in serving God is both a combination of God's plans and our plans, of our plans and God's direction. Paul had his plans to go. Where to go? I want to go to Asia. No, that didn't work. I want to go to Bithynia. That didn't work either. God funnels him across to Macedonia. Paul had his plans, but he was also responsive to God's direction in the unfolding of events uh, as they came. I think, again, we can fall into two opposite errors in gospel work and life in general. One error is uh, to make plans without God and to stick with them indefinitely. So we make a plan, I'm going to do this, and no matter what gets in our way, we stick with it, rather than being responsive to the overwhelming evidence of God that perhaps we should change our plans. The other error is to never make plans at all, to never seek Uh, to do anything, to always be waiting for a sign from God. Paul and his missionary companions made plans and acted on them and then refined them as they went along in response to God's direction. When I was a programmer, uh, there was a methodology uh, coming out at the time or sort of gaining traction at the time called extreme programming, which is not, as you might think it is, kind of hang gliding and programming at the same time. But it was a methodology where you said, all right, I'm going to come up with a plan and I'm going to do it and I'm going to see if it works and then I'm going to change it based on what works and what doesn't. I'm going to make a new plan. I'm going to try it again. And and you just keep making new plans. The idea is it's responsive. It's extreme. Uh, You can imagine people sitting at their desk typing away going, yes, this is extreme. That was me. But, um, and in a sense, gospel ministry, I think, is like that. God calls us to think about life, to think about circumstances, to make plans and to say, I'm going to try this, I'm going to do it, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to do it. And it doesn't work and we go, okay, let's try something else. Or it does work, okay, let's run with this until we hit another roadblock and then we make another plan and then we pray and we, and, and we make more plans and we keep trying. It's not about waiting until we come up with a perfect 15-year plan and then going, right, let's do this. It's not about waiting till we have the sign from God where we know, yes, this is absolutely what we have to do. God gives us brains. He gives us minds to think about the world uh, and to think about what's best. And if we leave God out of that, that's terribly wrong. But if we don't use our minds as well, that's also a denial of who God has made us to be. God hasn't made us to follow the great Lego instruction set in the sky. One, step two, step three, step four. He's made us to be people of Christ-like wisdom, whose minds and hearts are so reshaped by the knowledge of Christ that we can make decisions informed by the knowledge of God and by the wisdom of God. Make a plan, have a go, and be responsive to God. And also notice, please, that God's uh, guidance here is a process. Think about it. Paul was in Galatia, 
Uh, and they had two abortive attempts before God finally sent them the vision to go to Macedonia. God could have sent them that vision a month or two months earlier, right? Go to Macedonia. It would have been a lot clearer. Why didn't he do that? I suppose it's because there's so many important things for us to do along the way, for Paul and his, and his friends to do along the way, and for us too. Why doesn't God send us where he wants to go straight away? Because he takes time to prepare us, he uses us uh, along the path uh, that he's taking us, and he takes time to, help, to use us to help prepare others as well. Well, we've seen how uh, Paul and Barnabas' mission plans are shaken but not destroyed by an unexpected division. Uh, We've seen how God unexpectedly provided another gospel worker in the person of Timothy. We've seen how God is also directing uh, this mission, where it goes and how it happens. And finally, in the last section, uh, from verse 11 to 15... Uh, we hear about what happens when Paul and his travelling companions finally reach Macedonia, uh, where the Holy Spirit has uh, been directing them. They're looking for a place of prayer. They go out of the city looking for this place of prayer and they find a women's group. Uh, I know a little bit about what that's like. I I went to the play group the other day and, um, well, it was a different experience, let's just say that. Uh, And uh, Christy and uh, and the other ladies were very polite. and I stayed as long as I could, <laughs> which was longer than I thought, but still not very long. Uh, so Paul and, uh, and Silas find the women's group, and among them is this woman named Lydia, who is this powerful uh, saleswoman uh, of the day. She's a, a seller of purple cloth, which means that she's rich, uh, and she evidently has quite a large household of servants and so on. Uh, But she's also a worshipper of God. That is, she's heard the message of the Old Testament uh, and the promise of the coming Saviour, but she needs to meet Jesus. And as Paul and his companions explain to her and her friends the message of the Gospel, God opens her heart to respond to Paul's message. Notice that it's God who opens Lydia's heart. Even the fruit of this mission work is God's work. We might make our plans for mission and ministry. We might get to where we want to go. We might experience no obstacles, no setbacks. But even still, the fruit of our gospel witness lies in the hands of God. That reality drives us to prayer because who else can do anything but God? We realize that as hard as we try, the real power rests in God's hands. It's not our clever ideas on how to share the gospel which gets people over the line. It's not our winsome conversation. It's not our ironclad arguments. Those things are, are important to be winsome, to be, to be thoughtful about how we engage with the, the, with the questions that people have. But ultimately, those things don't change the hearts of people. We need the Spirit to work to use those things to call people to faith in Jesus Christ, to call people out of darkness and into the light of the gospel. That reality drives us to prayer, And that reality that that it's God's work, that reality keeps us also from despair. It means that as hard as we try, we have to trust God. It means that at the end of the day, having shared the gospel with someone, we can sleep. It can be a terrible burden 
to take on yourself the responsibility for making someone a Christian. Because you can't do it. And it will keep you up at night and it will make you anxious and it won't do anything. At the end of the day, all we could do is put our head on the pillow at the end of the night and say, God, these things are in your hands. I've done what you've equipped me to do. I've, I've done all I can. And maybe even you haven't done all that you could. Please forgive me for that, Lord, but you've got to do it. I can't, I've got nothing. God directs our mission and God is the one who creates opportunities for us to share the good news about Jesus. And he's the one who opens hearts to receive that good news and to believe it. The idea of being on mission with Jesus and making the gospel known can seem pretty overwhelming. It can seem an impossible task. It can seem something that you don't feel equipped for. Many of us feel inadequate. Many of us are already tired just from doing the basics of life. Getting food on the table every night. Getting the kids off to school. Many of us are battling with other things. Bouncing from one crisis to another. But when we realise that being on mission with Jesus is God's work, where he provides where he shapes and guides our plans, where he overcomes our divisions and our disagreements, which might threaten the work, where he's the one who compels people to faith in Jesus Christ. When we realize that, it brings an incredible sense of relief that God is the one doing the work and he's inviting us to be a part of it, equipping us to go and giving us the strength and resources that we need to do that work that he's called us to do. We can just make our plans, we can pray, we can have a go. And we can trust God that though he is using us, it's his work and not ours. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a missionary-hearted God and that though we and uh, this whole world have turned away from you and rejected you as our maker, our creator, as our God, as our ruler and our king, that even though we've done that, that you have not destroyed us but that you have patiently uh, kept with us, that you have gone to such great lengths in Jesus Christ to call us back, to invite us back so that we might know you, so that we might be forgiven in the death of Jesus Christ and we might be renewed in his perfect image. Lord, thank you that you are a missionary-hearted God who has called out to us, who has saved us, who has brought us from being far off to being near to you. And Father, we pray that having heard that message ourselves, having responded, being, having been brought near, that we too will be able to share the same missionary heart that you have, that we would also work uh, as hard as we can with the gifts that you have given us, 
to make the gospel known uh, to those who you have placed in our lives. Lord, we confess that uh, so often we do that poorly. We, uh, we make plans without you or uh, we don't make any plans at all. We fail to respond to your direction and guidance. We fail to see the uh, people that you've raised up to help us. Father, please help us to be wise and to learn the lessons that Paul uh, and his companions learned as they sought to uh, share the gospel with those in their day. And having learned the lessons, Father, we pray uh, that you would use us mightily in our day and in this place and throughout the world uh, to bring people to know and love your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask it for the glory of his name. Amen.